0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this morning uh, to Paul's letter uh, to Titus. Titus chapter 2, and if you're looking in the church Bibles, uh, there may be some in the chairs underneath in the row ahead, and we're looking in Titus chapter 2 uh, on page 998. And this morning we want to look at verses 11 through 14, Uh, But we'll begin our reading back at verse 1. Titus chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, And in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Well, it is a time of the year when many people in our culture uh, will find themselves being pulled back to the past. Someone was recently mentioning this, that in our Western culture, there's a certain nostalgia uh, surrounding Christmas, uh, that many people find themselves veering towards uh, old traditions uh, and familiar patterns at this time of the year. Maybe you have certain practices where you like to watch uh, old favorite films, and maybe some of them are even in black and white. But we can find people turning back to the past uh, at this time of the year. Uh, For others, it'll be a time that is uh, the memories of the past can be especially vivid. Uh, We are reminded of what once was uh, that is no longer at the present. Uh, But the past continues uh, to be especially important at this time of the year. And for many Christians who at this time celebrate the birth of Jesus, again, our minds are turned back to the past uh, to see how what happened in the past continues to have an impact on the way that we live in the present. This morning, as we're turning to the uh, letter of Paul to Titus, we want to look not only to the past, but we want to see how the past is meant to shape the way that we live in the present and the way that we look at and approach the future. And that is true here in uh, Paul's admonition here uh, to, to Titus. We're looking at verses 11 through 14 this morning. And we want to see that because the grace of God has appeared, we are to live in light of that hope. Something has happened in the past, but it actually brings with it hope for the future. And that is to shape the whole dynamic of the Christian life. These verses have been described as one of the most concise summaries of how one goes about living the Christian life in all of the New Testament. But Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, give us something of the dynamic that is going on in the Christian's life. It's explaining to them how they go about living their life and what is propelling them in everything that they do. And as we're looking at this, we want to look especially at uh, Paul's usage of words. Uh, One word in particular that is used in two different ways it's the word appearance. You see it there in verse 11 for the grace of God has appeared. And we want to look at how the past appearance of Christ is meant to shape the future appearance of Christ. That as Paul talks about how a person lives as a Christian, as Paul tries to describe something of the contours of the Christian life, he describes it by these these two realities of the the appearance of God in the past and the appearance of God in the future. And that this is what shapes the way that we live in the present. This word that Paul uses in verse 11 for appearance or for appeared is the same word that we use in English for the word epiphany. Uh, It is a word that means to make something visible that otherwise or until then was concealed or hidden. It is for something to be seen that before you didn't see. And almost every occurrence of this word in the New Testament is referring either to the first coming of Christ or to the second coming of Christ. There is one exception to that. It's in the book of Acts. And in that book, Luke gives us something of the common usage of the word appearance in everyday language. He's talking about the time when Paul is making his way to Rome. You remember that when he was on the ship, there was a great storm. And it tells us that there was an overcast uh, because of that storm coming upon them. And as a result, it says in Acts uh, chapter 27 that the skies and, uh, were overcast day and night. And it says when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, all hope of our being saved was lost. When the sun and the stars did not appear, all hope of being saved was lost. Now the sun and the stars were there, but they weren't seen. And because they couldn't see them, they couldn't navigate on the waters. Because they couldn't see the stars, they didn't know which way to move the boat. And as a result, their sense of hope was gone. They needed a navigation system. They needed to know their whereabouts in order to make sense of reality. Without that, they lost all sense of understanding. And this morning, as we're turning to this uh, language of appearance, we want to see that it is with the appearance of God's grace that we make sense of how to live in this world. And it's the appearance of God's grace that generates a hope that propels us in the way that we are to go. And so we're looking at these verses in just two thoughts. We want to think about the appearance of grace and the appearance of God's glory. Well, first, we want to look at this idea of the appearance of God's grace. Paul writes there in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. Again, you think back to that analogy of uh, Paul and the ship, the sun and the stars, they're there. It's just that the people couldn't see them. God is who he is. God hasn't changed. God has always been gracious to his creatures, to his uh, people. God has shown it many times and in various ways, grace. But here, Paul is saying God's grace has appeared in a definitive way. That there has been a manifestation of God's grace that seals it for good. And what Paul is referring to here is he is referring to the unique coming of Christ in the fullness of time. He's talking about the birth of the Lord Jesus. He's talking about the first coming of Jesus, that when Jesus came into this world, it was the expression of God's grace. When we speak about grace, grace means the undeserved favor of God but more than that it's not only undeserved it's when we are treated favorably by God when we deserve the opposite and so here when it says the grace of God has appeared it's showing God's favor his kindness being shown to those who deserve the very opposite from him and so this is not only telling us something about God this is telling us something about ourselves That we are people who need grace. We need God's favor. But we don't deserve God's favor. You go on and you read how Paul describes us. He says that God's grace has appeared bringing salvation. Training us to renounce. That is training us to give up worldliness. Training us to give up ungodliness. Training us to give up worldly passions. What is Paul saying then? He's saying that by nature, our orientation is one of ungodliness. That we are not setting our affections on God. We live without reference to God. God is not at the center of our life. We don't live all things to the glory of God. That's part of the human condition. And because we do not set our hearts on the love of God, we set our hearts on the love of this world, worldly passions. That as the church father Augustine would say, when there's not a love for the heavenly city, for the city of God, there is a love for the earthly city. A city living without reference to God. And so here Paul is speaking in that same way. Our problem by nature is is that at the root principle we live without reference to God. And it manifests itself in our passions that are set on this world. So our problem is we live without reference to God. We reject God, his authority over us. And you would think that if we live without reference to God, then God would simply live without reference to us. That would be the end of the matter. But scripture teaches us that God's grace has appeared. That those who were living without God, those who were suppressing the truth about God, to them... The light of God's grace has shown. As Isaiah would say, to those who are dwelling in deep darkness, a great darkness, to them a great light has appeared. So God has come, God's grace has come. It has appeared bringing salvation to all people. Very quickly, look down at verse 14. He expands on what he means by saying that when he says, God's grace has appeared bringing salvation. That salvation from sin is described in two ways. He describes it as a redemption uh, that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us uh, uh, for himself. Paul uses the language of the Old Testament to describe the salvation that Jesus has accomplished. One is to redeem, that is to set free, to set at liberty those who were enslaved and imprisoned by the power of sin. That in the old covenant, the people were taught that an animal had to be sacrificed and the blood had to be shed in their place as a penalty for their sin. That there was a costliness to their sin and that God's judgment would come against sin. But in spite of being under the power of sin, there was this hope that they could be set free by a substitute. That one would take away their sin. So they would no longer be under the power of sin themselves. Christ came into this world, it tells us, and he gave himself for us. Instead of a lamb, instead of an animal, instead of the blood of an animal, Jesus gave his own life to set at liberty those who were imprisoned by a life of sin. And this is why... Jesus is the greatest gift of all. He gives himself so that we could be set free. So that we could live as we were designed to live. So that we could have fellowship with God. So that we could be delivered uh, from the the bondage of sin itself. So Jesus came into this world uh, to set sinners free from the curse of the law. Which is ultimately what the death on the cross was all about. But Jesus also saves us. By purifying for himself a people who were zealous for good works. Not only does he rescue them from the power of sin. He cleanses them from the contaminants of sin. That's what we were reading about in Ezekiel. That those who have sinned are not just in the category of guilt. But that they are contaminated by it. Everything they touch now is tainted by sin. That their story is tainted by their sin. Their, Their whole life is affected by it. And here Paul is celebrating the truth that God's grace delivers us from the guilt of our sin. But it also delivers us from the contaminants of it. That we're no longer considered defiled. We're no longer looked at as unclean. And so here, what Christ does is he comes to cleanse his people. Just as we see pictured even in in baptism, the water, the sprinkling of uh, water cleansing us from all unrighteousness, just as Ezekiel was talking about there. Here we see that salvation uh, is the grace of God coming. So God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation. What does that mean? It means to be delivered or rescued from sin the power of sin, from the presence of it, from its contamination, from its polluted nature. They're no longer under that rubric of sin, that they are people who have come to experience salvation. But not only are they saved from something, they are saved unto something. They're not just saved from sin, they're saved unto God, And so Paul goes on to say, God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation. And then in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Do you notice what Paul's doing there? Paul's whole point is, is that what Christ has done in coming into this world Of showing God's grace in giving Himself to save sinners is is that it changes, it transforms the way that a Christian lives. They no longer live in the present as they once did. They're willing to give up these former loves. They're willing to give up what they were formerly committed to because they have been conquered by a greater love. They love something greater, the Lord Jesus, than their worldly passions. They're willing to renounce these things and to live a different life. And that different life affects every area of their life. That's why he says self-controlled, upright, and godly. Self-controlled refers to himself. He's no longer mastered by his sins. But he is now bringing everything in subjection to the will of God. He's no longer living selfishly for himself. But he sees himself as a child of God living in God's world. And he treats his neighbor in an upright way. Righteously. In a way with integrity before God's face. And he lives with godliness. Meaning that everything is oriented as an act of service to God. So a Christian is someone who is being transformed by God's grace. They are those who live self controlled, their own thoughts, their own actions. They are those who are upright in their dealing with their neighbor. They are people who are living godly, everything before the presence of God. And so it is a life that is being transformed by God's grace. So when we think about uh, the birth of Christ, when we think about the coming of Jesus into this world, what should come to mind? Paul says it's the appearance. It's the making visible of something that otherwise was hard for people to see or wasn't seen. God's favor towards sinners. How do we see God's favor? He's given the gift of salvation through the Son of God who gave himself to set us free from sin and to purify us from all uncleanness. And the result is is it transforms people. But Christians don't simply live in light of the past. Paul's whole point here is is that the Christian life, the way of living as a Christian, is shaped by the future. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. But he also says we are to live in light of the future appearance. In verse 13, he says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our Uh, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We said that every occurrence, uh, with the exception of that one in Acts, refers to the first or second coming of Christ. And you see Paul bringing both of them together here in Titus. The Christian life is shaped by an understanding of both. Christ came before, and he will come again. We need to slow down when we think about this verse. Because we're asking ourselves, what exactly is the blessed hope? What is this blessed hope that is to shape the Christian life? Our blessed hope is the same as the appearing. Uh, The hope is equivalent with the appearance that is going to happen. And the appearance here is the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's important that we understand here that when Paul says this, Paul is talking here about Jesus. That as the late Anglican John Stott explains, whether you think about this grammatically, whether you think about this contextually, or whether you think about this theologically, it is referring specifically to Jesus. What does he mean by that? Very simply... In the original Greek, when you would speak, when two nouns have one article, the word the, before those nouns, the two nouns are referring to the same person, the same subject. So if you read the God and Father, then you know that it is speaking about the Father, who is God. And here, in the same way, we see one article, the word the, and speaking about uh, uh, God and Savior, Jesus. It is, it is one article that binds these together. But then we can also think about it contextually, uh, that this is referring to Jesus' appearing, because it goes on in verse 14 to talk about his own suffering, uh, who himself uh, gave up his life to redeem us from all lawlessness. And you can think about this theologically. Uh, As we mentioned, uh, every occurrence outside of the book of Acts refers to either the first or the second appearing specifically of Jesus. And so why is all that important? Because as Paul is describing Jesus to us, he says Jesus will come again. But Jesus' coming is the appearance of the glory of God. That the return of Christ is God's glory being manifested. That this is the blessed hope to which Christians are to be shaped by. Jesus' birth communicates the grace of God. Because in the birth of Jesus, God has made known his grace uh, to rescue sinners. Jesus' return communicates the glory of God. Because then we will see him as he is. That is the promise of Scripture. That they will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so the Christian life is not simply anchored in what happened in the past. We find our joy, we find our comfort in something that happened a long time ago. Paul is saying this transformation that causes a person to renounce worldly passions, to give up a former way of life, that now lives in the present in a certain way, is structured by a certainty of the future. That's what the word hope is talking about. Hope in Scripture is talking about a certain expectation that is confidently placed on the basis of Christ. That in Christ these promises will be revealed and will be fulfilled. And so it is this blessed hope about the future that is to shape the way that christians live in the here and now so he says waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of of the glory of our god and savior jesus christ that language though of waiting uh what does that mean living as a christian they are to be living waiting for the blessed hope they're they're waiting for something in the future but when you hear the word waiting. You may think of something that is idle. We might think of waiting as the same as doing nothing. Maybe we have to wait for the bus and we're standing at the terminal where we feel like we're doing nothing perhaps. Or maybe you're sitting in the doctor's office and someone says, what are you doing? I'm doing nothing. I'm just waiting. But waiting, especially when Paul uses this language here in scripture, he's not talking about doing nothing The language that Paul is using when he says waiting for our blessed hope is the language of looking for or expectation. That we are expecting, we're anticipating, we're looking for something to be fulfilled. You look at uh, the beginning of Luke's gospel. It tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. When it says that, it doesn't mean he was doing nothing. It means that he was longing for, He he was expecting the Messiah to come. He had reason to believe the Messiah would appear before he died. And so he was looking for it. When Anna was in the temple, it tells us that she was speaking to those who were longing for the redemption of Jerusalem. What that was meaning was people who had... Uh, a longing for uh, Jerusalem to be restored, to be rebuilt, to be uh, redeemed. When Joseph of Arimathea went to retrieve the body of Jesus after Jesus was crucified and had died, it tells us that Joseph was a man who was looking for the kingdom of God. He was someone who had that longing for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when you look in Scripture and you see this language that they were looking for these things, they were waiting for the kingdom of God. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. It doesn't mean do nothing. It's rather an expectation that is shaping them. And so when we think about what does it mean for a believer today, what does it mean for you to be living, waiting for our blessed hope? If you're trusting in Christ, what does that look like? then we can look at what did it mean for Simeon to look for the consolation of Israel. It meant that he was looking for it. It means that it was on his mind. It means that he was focused on it. What we think is important, we're going to think about. And we're going to give attention to it through the mind's eye. We're going to be considering "This this is something important that I should be thinking about. And so as Simeon looked for Israel's consolation, the appearance of Christ's coming, so we should be looking forward to the return of Christ as the fulfillment of God's purposes. It means not only that we should be focused on this, but it means that we should be, it should should mean that we should make life choices that are shaped by this truth. That's what Paul's point is. That we are living self controlled, upright, godly lives. Now we're beginning to live in the present, knowing what is to come. That we're being shaped by these truths in the way that we go about our, our daily d- business. You see, the Christian life is not lived by downplaying the importance of the present, it really augments it. The present is important. Because we know what is to come. And we live now in light of God's grace. So it means that we live with a a focus, a looking forward uh, to these things. It means that we live uh, with our life in the present, uh, being willing to give up worldly passions uh, because we are striving uh, to live to the glory of Christ. It means that we will strive to deal rightly and honor God in all things. But then thirdly, waiting for our blessed hope would also mean longing. Just as Simeon was longing for the consolation of Israel. There should be that desire in the life of a believer for these things to happen. That we look forward then with eagerness. That our heart's desire for these things would be realized. So as Paul talks about the dynamic of the christian life how does it that a person lives paul sh- saying that a christian is someone who is shaped by the appearance of god's grace and the appearance of god's glory god's grace was manifested in the coming of christ in the fullness of time that the virgin conceived and had a child Whose name was Emmanuel? That Jesus came into this world to show that God's grace is for sinners. He came to redeem them, to set them free through his sacrifice on the cross, to purify, to cleanse them of all unrighteousness, to make them a people who are committed unto God, zealous for good works, willing to give up worldly passions. But a Christian is one who is also anchored in a confidence. Of the appearance of Christ again. And it's based on the knowledge that he appeared once. God has shown his grace. And we will see his glory when Christ returns. Let us then live waiting for the blessed hope. The appearing of God and our Savior. Is this how we live? Not just looking back. Christmas will be over tomorrow. We will will constantly be living with past. We need more than the past, though. We need a future to make sense of our present. God has manifested his light so that we can live with confidence in our world, that we can navigate things knowing how we are to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, your word We pray that we would ultimately uh, respond with thanksgiving. We thank you for the appearance of the grace of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And we pray that we would be people who live, uh, not only knowing what has happened, but people who are able to live with hope, knowing that uh, Christ will appear again and that he will uh, eagerly save uh, those who have been uh, looking for him. So, Lord, we pray that we would not be people who shrink back and who ignore uh, your revelation, but we pray that by your Spirit we would live in light of them. Go before us, we ask, in Jesus'